Hello, this is Paige Gravely, President of Mission Energy, and welcome to our podcast. This podcast serves to assist nonprofit organizations interested in advancing their use of solar power as a clean energy source of electricity for their real estate. Aside from the source of capital for any nonprofit to fund or finance their solar installation, selecting the right solar contractor for the final engineering design, procurement of the equipment, and installation of the solar array is just as important. As we at Mission Energy represent our nonprofit clients' best interest, we prefer collaborating with solar contractors local to that client so to support their local economy and foster local working relationships for the client. We are working on projects with both our solar contractor guests today. I'm excited for them to share with you their perspectives on the current solar market and especially about the uniqueness and nuances in their working with nonprofits compared to for profits. My guests today are Dan Hancock, Senior Commercial Project Developer for Straight Up Solar, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Travis Moeller, Director of Business Development for Utility and Commercial and Industrial Solar Projects with Freedom Solar Power, headquartered in Austin, Texas. Dan, Travis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paige. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Paige. So, Dan, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about Straight Up Solar, the geographical territories, and the type of clients you serve. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity, Paige. Straight Up Solar is located out of St. Louis, Missouri. We also have another regional office in Bloomington, Illinois. We're about 13 years old, 95 employees today, and have a pretty good mix between residential and commercial installations. Lately, a much larger part of our commercial sales has been focused on this nonprofit area. And I would tell you, I think a large reason for that is just the funding that Illinois has in place today to help nonprofits uh, move forward with solar. Travis, how about you? Tell us a little bit about Freedom Solar and the markets and territories you serve. Absolutely. So Freedom is is headquartered, as you mentioned, in Austin, Texas. Uh, I've been in in the business since 2007. We've got headquarters in in Austin and then regional offices in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, San Antonio, Houston. We're active largely in the Texas market. Texas is a big state with lots of very diverse utilities. There's there's lots to do here. That said, we've 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 done projects in in many states. So in, in instances where we're working with a client with a national footprint, we've we've gone around and evaluated projects and executed projects all over the country. Got a, a very robust residential business, and then I'm on the commercial team. I've done lots of work with nonprofits as a part of all that. Uh, and it's a unique market and one that's certainly worthy of, of a conversation like this and a, and a unique focus. Excellent. So could you comment, let's start with you, Dan, and give us a little background on the evolution of solar incentives, especially for nonprofits. Sure, sure. That's a great question, Paige. And Missouri and Illinois are really two entirely different markets. Missouri is a regulated market. And so the only people that can sell electricity in Missouri are the utilities. What we have done in the past in, in Missouri to work with the utility and to get these nonprofits together is develop funds with large equity buyers so that we can monetize the investment tax credit and then create a fund to retire that debt through a lease scenario. So that's a way that we've been able to go forward uh, in Missouri. In Illinois, it's a lot different. In addition to the deregulated market in Illinois, Illinois has a tremendous REC market or solar renewable energy credit. And in fact, the REC market in Illinois is really good for nonprofits. There is a separate carve out uh, called Illinois Solar for All, and it specifically serves low income and environmental justice communities. And we have been really fortunate to be able to participate that in the last several years 
and actually be able to kind of set a, a, a high watermark for solar construction companies working within that program. It sounds uh, two vastly different markets. Thank you for that. So Travis, when I think of Texas, as, as a lot of people do, you think big oil, a uh, lot of real estate, a lot of sunshine. Give us a little background on the development of solar in that state. Yeah. So the, the, the Texas uh, market uh, through Senate Bill 7 was opened up to competition. So it moved in the late 90s from uh, large regulated utilities to, to many deregulated utilities. We've made nonprofit projects work in, in, in both flavors, in both the deregulated market and then the, the muni or the co-op market. They've both got their set of challenges and opportunities. And I think both, the, the, the unique aspect of, of working with a nonprofit in my mind is that it aligns so well with, with their mission uh, and allows them to lower their operating costs and apply those funds directly to their long-term mission. But the projects are challenging. So it requires early on agreeing that you're gonna work together, uh, really takes a, a, a team effort. And they're, they're fundamentally fun projects where you, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're making that nonprofit that much more capable of delivering on its mission. And that's just a fun market to, to be in. So let's turn to your respective nonprofit markets. Dan, what kind of nonprofit organizations is straight up serving today? It varies a little bit depending on the state. So where we go after the nonprofits and look for those opportunities to try to help those people and, and really to echo Travis's comment, if, if we can help them reduce their, their energy bill, we make them a more viable nonprofit. So whatever their mission is for that community, solar is always going to help them. In the state of Illinois, we're working within that program, the Illinois Solar for All. So they really define who our audience is there. And the nonprofit facilities in Illinois need to be critical service providers. Those can be defined as a church can be a critical service provider or a community center. Outside of that program, we do a lot of work in schools. So I would say we've done, I don't know, in the last seven, eight years, maybe 25, 30 schools that we provided solar for, and those get funded a variety of ways. Right, exactly. Travis, how about you? Is this very similar to what Dan is sharing? Yeah, yeah, in many ways. And, and it, it's, it's shifted over the years. More recently, the cost of solar has, has opened up the market to a very broad audience of, of, of nonprofits. There's a, a local uh, nonprofit foundation communities that's done lots of solar, and their, their market is directly addressing you know, low-income folks and getting them in a better position. And just the fundamentals of getting back to work, Goodwill, Boy Scouts of America, we've got the University of Texas, Lots of both large and small local nonprofits have made sense of it. The, the fundamental driver behind all of them is that they just align well with their mission, and it's something that the nonprofit fundamentally wants to do if we can, if we can line up all the required pieces to make it happen for them. Yeah, and it, it seems like there are a lot of variables. One specific component, let me just ask each of you briefly in terms of scale. If I manage multiple church properties, if I manage multiple school properties versus an individual property. Where do economies of scale assist each of you in hopefully making the economics work even better for that client? Dan, let's start with you. Well, obviously it helps us when we work with you, right, Paige? When we're working with the finance companies where, they, where they're looking at a project that has scale. So to your point, you know, if, if we look at a school, that a district that wants to do solar on the high school, and we can go to them and say, listen, the high school is great, but let's do a district-wide program. We're having a lot more success getting a project that pencils financially. Right, because you've got, from your end as an EPC, you can buy more panels just like 
the difference between Costco and a small hardware store, they can buy in bulk and distribute those cost savings down to the uh, down to the buyer. Is that a fair statement? I, I agree. The the EPC side, the engineering procurement construction side, um, having larger uh, even single interconnection. I know we've looked at projects where you've got it gets more complex as far as interconnecting capacity in smaller chunks to multiple meters. Um, that those sorts of projects can require you know multiple rounds of engineering, separate permits, and things like that. So if, if you can find a way to do more watts installed per your fixed cost, that's a that's a big benefit. How do you guide nonprofits in the early stages of your relationships to help them make uh, the best use of their time and, and to make really fully informed decisions? Dan, let's start with you on that. One of the things that we're going to do up front is, is help people understand a little bit more about what a solar project looks like. And then some of the commitments that they're going to need to make today and well into the future. And I'd also like to come in. I think one of the things that really is helping a lot with nonprofit work, especially today, has been expanding that stakeholder base within the Illinois Solar for All program is, is workforce development. And even as we look at projects in the state of Missouri where I can expand a training base by including some sort of a workforce development program in these nonprofits, uh, I get a lot more people involved and a lot more support, and it tends to push these projects through a lot easier. Great. Travis, how about you? Yeah, and great, great points, Dan. I agree, with, I agree with all of that. Early conversations, in my mind, they're kind of two questions that I, 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 try, I try to get to right off the bat. The first being, are you thinking long-term? Fortunately, just about every nonprofit is thinking in, in, in decades, not quarters. And in my mind, that's really where solar shines. Solar is a simple, reliable tool to lower your operating costs. And it does that over a long period of time, you know, a minimum of 25 years. And many projects are being modeled out 25 plus, you know, out to 40 years. Uh, so it's a long-term asset that almost always aligns very well with the, the long-term thinking of the nonprofit. These folks are here to serve their communities out for decades and decades. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost always a great pairing. I think the second important question is, are you willing to, to look at this as a partnership? There's lots that needs to be done and it needs to be done in an open collaborative way. That's how, that's how I see projects work. If the answer to, to both of those isn't yes, I don't get a great feeling about the project, but it, but it typically is. Great point. So gentlemen, roofs, the condition of roofs. Now on one end, the panels are extending the life of the existing roof because weather is the number one reason why roofs deteriorate, their material deteriorates, and now the panels are covering that roof, and so they're bearing the brunt of weather. How do you guide them through the condition of the roof uh, as you analyze solar for those nonprofits? Dan, let's start with you. That question does come up quite a bit, and Typically, I'm going to want to look at what's the warrantied, what's the remaining warrantied life of the roof. That's what I know for sure I can go by. And then secondly, we'll look at condition. I don't know that there's just a general rule of thumb that we say, if your roof doesn't have at least 10 years, we're not going to do solar. It really depends on the program and the situation for that particular client. But that is something that we're going to want to bring up, like, like we mentioned early on in the discussions, what is solar? If it's on your roof, these are the considerations you need to have for the roof. You know, absolutely. Um, to Travis's point, getting them involved as a partner early on, uh, that's really critical. And we're just like you, Travis. If, if it's a real red flag for me, if I don't have this sort of participation and commitment up front as I'm doing this qualification and initial stages on the project, it really makes me wonder if this is one that we should get involved with. They, they need to be as excited about this as I am. Great point. Travis, how do you manage roofs in Texas? You got 
big heat, a lot of different types of roofs. How do you go about adding advice and counsel to nonprofits related to the roof early on in the discussion? Yeah, and Dan, great points all to kind of summarize that it's it's complicated. Uh, there, <laughs> I think starting with a 10 to 15 year sort of window uh, on, on viability of that roof is probably a reasonable starting point. I think that's gotta be paired with the conversation with the, with the client that's just very open that this is a 25 plus year asset and, and a, a roof that's likely a, a shorter lived asset than, than, the, than the solar asset. Uh, and and what, what do you do at that point? Every situation is different. The, the only time I'm uncomfortable with that is when it's a surprise. It, it shouldn't be, it should be a heads up situation for everyone uh, involved. And it's one you can get around just through having conversations and, 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 and thinking through it. So gentlemen, in addition to rooftop, we know that on any piece of real estate, there could be other options. So if you are encountering, say, a, a really nice Spanish tile roof, uh, slate roofs, uh, or even when the, when the client may have objections to the aesthetics of solar on their roof, there are car canopies, there are ground mount systems. How do you go about recommending those projects? That's a great comment, Paige, and, and we absolutely are going to look at other options outside of roofs. Our earlier comment, and Travis even pointed it out, the cost of solar is going down. The cost of these types of arrays you mentioned, covered parking, canopies, uh, that's going down as well. Whereas, you know, years ago, that was really cost prohibitive. Today, with some of the incentive programs we have in Illinois, I can actually look at covered parking as an option for nonprofits within this Illinois Solar for All program. And then ground mounts are something we do quite a bit of. And, and it's surprising how much solar you can fit into a, a little piece of property behind the church or next door to a community center. So that's a great point. Just because you have a poor roof doesn't mean you may not be a good candidate for solar. Um, you, should, you should chat with us and we should look at all the options. Absolutely. Travis, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I agree. There have been many instances where due to a variety of roof conditions or preferences with the customer on aesthetics, that the project has pivoted from a, initially a roof mount to a either a carport or a ground mount. Texas is a particularly healing environment for carports and that the summers here are just brutally hot and humid and folks love the idea of parking their car under shade. So both ground mounts and uh, shade structures, parking canopies, those sorts of things can offer a really viable alternative in situations where maybe the roof isn't ideal. Well, that concludes today's podcast. I wanna thank our guest again, Dan Hancock with Straight Up Solar. And Travis Moeller with Freedom Solar Power. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I'm Paige Gravely, President of Mission Energy. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to offering you another podcast next month.